This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Queen Pod, episode two. We are two episodes old. How fantastic is this? Uh, I'm going to say hello to everyone. We're here with comedian Suze Meadows Kempner. Hey, Suze, hey, how are you? thanks. You right? buh, 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 buh. Doing a drum solo. Come buh, on. Buh, buh, buh. Uh, and Queen documentarian Simon Deacon Lupton. Ah, oh, there we go. How are you, sir? Very good. Uh, nice to see comedian... you. Comedian. Oh, it's good to see you too, mate. And we've also got uh, comedian and powerhouse John May Robbins. Hello to you, sir. Why didn't you go for Harold Robbins? You're mixing up the surnames and the middle names there. And this is why we have John here. And, of course, <laughs> me as host, Ro Mercury. So, uh, we're all Freddy, guys. Come on. Uh, this was his great gift to the world. And my gift to you. We're going to kick off today. Well, today we are looking at um, side B of the eponymous first album, Queen. Uh, which is the second half of the album, if you're under the age of 30. Side B for the rest of us. But before we pile into all of that, we've got our first lovely uh, Queen Pod feature, which is uh, Queen Are The Champions. We are the champions. moment uh, for our lives that have come in since we last gathered a week ago to chat about all things Queen. Um, so John, have you got a thing I think that you said? I've, yeah, I've got two minor Queen moments um, after our chat last week about the stamps I interviewed the head of stamp strategy at the Royal Mail Wow! Uh, on my the five live show I do with Ellis James. Uh, so I was quite impressed with how much of a queen geek he was um, because he said, um, he said, you know, it's the 30th anniversary 
uh, of Queen, and I was I was red rag to a bull. I was like, well, it's the thirtieth anniversary of them being called Queen, but not the thirtieth anniversary of, of, of John joining because John joined in nineteen seventy one. And fiftieth anniversary, come on. Give sorry, fiftieth. Oh God, oh God. <laughs> Start that again. Um, <laughs> Unless you want Twitter to explode. <laughs> oh, yes, fiftieth, um, and he he was fully on board with that, and also he verified my um, Roger Taylor stamp fact. Oh. that Roger was the first living person to appear on a stamp other than a member of the royal family. So that was great to chat to him. Anyway, you can head over... This, well, this is a great little uh, little plug. You can If you download uh, the Ellis James and John Robbins podcast... Oh, for uh, God's <laughs> sake. <laughs> from, the, uh, from Friday... Uh, the uh, From last Friday. <laughs> Perfect. Early July. Great. Then you can find uh, my chat with him. Um, and also, someone flagged up a, a sort of a queen related long read to me on twitter which is for a website called narratively and the name of the article is that it's called that time i spontaneously flew across the world for a dead rock star and it's a really sweet story um about uh, a woman who basically flew across the world to go to freddie's birthday party and oh. uh, on her own and um She'd just come out of a breakup and she went all the way to Switzerland um, and didn't have a ticket and didn't realise that the tickets had sold out months in advance. So she was on her own in Switzerland with no ticket, feeling very, very uh, downhearted and then got chatting to... um, uh, she, She asked someone to take her photo in the museum there and the person who took the photo was Justin Shirley Smith, ah. who um, was uh, produced uh, or helped produce a few of Queen's later albums. And he gave her a VIP wristband. And it's just a really, really nice story. And then she got to meet um, Jim Beach and various other people at the party. But we, we could maybe put a link to that in the description of the podcast because it's yeah, a really, definitely. really lovely story about That's gorgeous. Uh, sort of someone's life being turned around by Queen. That is way, that is way better than your Alice James story. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's a really nice moment where she did something exactly what I would do, where she's out and about and she's really upset that she can't go to the party. And then when she gets the wristband from this guy, she immediately goes back to the hostel to change into a different Queen T-shirt. <laughs> because she obviously had Queen T-shirts for every day and Queen T-shirts for best, which I definitely have. <laughs> Speaking of which, I can't make out what's on your chest today. Is it Queen related? No, but right, it's a bit cold it, in my house. But I am still we- <laughs> I am wearing my Queen One T-shirt. Oh, right. the correct T-shirt. And if you're thinking, oh, haven't you washed it since last week? I've got two of them. <laughs> Queen One T-shirts. One for right. each copy of Queen in Cornwall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that is that a project? Yeah, oh, I'm going to find out when we reach Queen Two, I guess. And Sue's <laughs> talking of stamps. You've only yeah. gone and got some. And my stamps when arrived. When did they turn this, up? A couple of days ago, <sighs> and I tore them open like a dog. <laughs> I was so excited. Which ones did you get? Uh, I think it's just the complete collection, and I'm going to frame them. Yeah, man. It's like there's like, so um, like some album each. covers, and then some uh, ones for them playing live. Oh. And I genuinely yeah. spent two hours staring at that on 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 the internet the, the day after we recorded the last podcast and now that I saw that 
We're going to put that. If it's all right with you, I'd like to put that photo up of you. I've never seen anyone that happy, just like with a bunch of stamps. Obviously, I've seen people that happy, but someone with stamps that happy was. uh, was, Yeah, I'd love to put that up on. They're never leaving my. They're never leaving my grasp. Yeah, I'm going to put them in a nice frame and. Because I've got. That's tipped it. I'm really jealous. I think I do want. Yeah, do it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. So So when after we chatted to the stamp guy, my producer said which stamp do you like the most because they've got album covers on or which mm. album do you think should be on that isn't and I thought that maybe for our first Any Other Business podcast we could rank Queen album covers in oh. order Ooh, that's good preference might be a nice little bit of fun yeah. to release our top uh, maybe we could do our top 10 Queen album covers each Ooh. that is yeah, such good. a good idea <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's also one of the best reasons for having John here. And also, <laughs> uh, if anyone wanted to send in their top ten Queen album covers and their Absolutely. reasoning to the email address that Ro knows that yes, hopes. which is uh, which which I know right off the top of my head actually, which is great, uh, which is queenpod at thequeenpodcast dot com. Uh, and if you send us that, we will factor that into the maths. Yeah, we can get a definitive ranking. If we give like fifty percent weight to us as power hungry <laughs> monsters, and then fifty percent weight to the rest of the world, and we'll we'll, we'll use some sort of f- factor. Yeah. And uh, are we and the one percent? Yeah, we're the one percent. <laughs> Why cool. not? Let's Finally. let's be the one percent because here because we're never going to be allowed to be the one percent anymore. No. So uh, let's do that. Moving on from stamps, which is blow my mind. Um, also, can I just say I think I already know what's going to win the album cover. Okay. No, I think I know what you mean. But let's... do you know what I mean? Why don't you okay. write it down and then you can show it to us when we you can announce? Put it in an envelope. <laughs> yeah. I'll write it down now. Yes, and then I'll I'll send it to myself. Yeah. Yeah. With a stamp. Uh, with a stamp. <laughs> with a queen. With the one. It has to be a stamp with Roger in it. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, with a queen stamp. What a. Yeah, that would be an expensive envelope. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll do that, and then I'll, I'll do it like like they do on the X Factor or whatever. I'll suddenly reveal my prediction. Yeah. Suze, you yeah. had another queen moment recently, didn't you? I've actually with... got two. Go on then. One is less good than the other. I'll do the less good one. Yeah. Basically, um, I've been listening to Hamilton a lot because uh, it's good and I listened to it in full and it finished like I listened to the whole thing on a three hour round trip the album finished and I went oh I'm sad Hamilton's over Spotify picked the next track Lap of the Gods and it was a spot on selection and I don't know where they came up with that algorithm but it was spot on live or album track Uh, the album track and was yeah. it the reprise or the it was it was ah! oh. yeah and it came in i went uh, i went I, I i lifted in my car i went oh like that <laughs> it was good it See, worked that that is the, the ideal queen so you guys <laughs> listeners out there, is it listener or listeners i can readers i can never tell is it readers readers i don't know maybe i'll call them the listenings <laughs> That sounds actually. I said it out loud. That sounds kind of pretentious, doesn't it? Well, I call I call I call them the hearings, which sounds okay. Kind of more appropriate on so many levels, and then we can be their hearing aids. So uh, for the hearings out there, 
Uh, that is an ideal Queen moment. That's exactly what we're talking about for Queen of the Champions, which is, uh, you know, if you had just that moment in the week where suddenly the boys pop into your life. I hadn't been thinking about you. them and there they were. That's it, yeah. What's your other one? Oh, right. So my brother, his wife is an Instagram person and she <laughs> got for free for a weekend a giant cinema screen and then you know radio frequency headphones so you can watch something in your garden on a big screen and my brother went come over we're all gonna watch queen live at wembley 86 so we sat in my brother's garden socially distanced with these headphones on at like 11 o'clock at night and his neighbors would have just heard us occasionally going (laughs) 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 and then clapping the radio gaga we were like <laughs> it was Were you guys uh, singing along as well or was it just I was I wasn't but my mum said she was and I feel awful for the neighbours now. <laughs> uh, I sang along she said. Was it absolutely gripping to watch It was just the amazing. Whole thing? Yeah. yeah, it was genuinely amazing and we only played it off YouTube but the sound was incredible. Really? Uh yeah. Oh, I had a great time. <laughs> We're now coming to the point of a feature of our podcast called Love of Our Life. Which is where we hear from you, the fans, the uh, the hearings yourselves. That's not going to stay, is it? The listeners. The hearings. So uh, the hearings. I'm sticking with the hearings. So this week I've got a lovely note from uh, a fan called Dan Turner who's from in Hackney. He says, I'm a lifelong Queen fan. My four-year-old boy Seth has autism. It's not severe but uh, has had a major impact on him. He's about a year to 18 months behind in his development and he has some sensory issues. He's always liked music, but usually repetitive and simple stuff. I'm not sure how it started, but he listened to a couple of Queen songs. Another one bites the dust, Flash, and We Will Rock You. They all have very simple hooks in them, and he quickly took to them and requested them over and over and over. Over the next few months, I introduced my son to more Queen songs, all the classics, and he loved them all. He recognised Freddie's voice, and as more time passed, he started to become quite obsessed about Queen music, to the point where he was transfixed by DVDs of Queen live at Wembley, Budapest, and especially Live Aid, where he joined in the sing-alongs. My son now has a very eclectic taste in music, and I think it's because he got into Queen first, and that exposed him to a lot of styles, rock, funk, soul, disco. And now he's taken it a stage further and does all the Queen songs on Just Dance. Oh. Isn't that lovely? So shout out to you, four-year-old Seth, with an eclectic taste in music, because you're a Queen fan. It's a big shout out to you, mate. You are a dancer. Good for you. That's so sweet. I love that story. Um, all right, look, let's get into the album. Let's start looking at um, uh, the second half of The Works. So Queen, side it's quite B. A con- quite a confusing title when that's also the name of one of their albums. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we're going into The Works to talk about Queen 2 side, Queen 1 side B. Okay. <laughs> What, shall we, how do we fix that, John? No, I, I think it's fine. I was just being facetious. <laughs> okay, so Charles, let's cut all of what John said for the last five minutes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, okay, so 
the second, the second, uh, the, uh, the second half of the album, side B opens with a majestic track called "Liar," which is a whopping six minutes twenty five seconds long. Should we listen to a bit of it? Yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's this, this is the bit I wanted to play. was essentially about 17 seconds in, this lovely bit where the guitars kick in and the riff is so badass. Possible to find an out point on that tune, isn't it? <laughs> but um, uh, what a tune! The other bits I, I thought would be worth uh, listening to, apart from that epic bit, uh, was um, obviously the uh, the reference to Mercury. I love that bit and that that lovely moment where he does a very soft liar in the middle of a run of liars. Mm. Uh, and I thought I might just share those two bits with you now, and then we can just listen to everything you have to say about this <laughs> massive track it's just massive liar I have sailed the sea liar to mercury Just love that. It's so cute. It's so cute. Uh, and obviously, there's a gospel bit, which is mental. Uh, but maybe we'll should we should we should we chat about the track a bit, and then we'll listen to the gospel gospel bit later. Uh, who wants to get going on liar? What I what I've uh, learned doing my big re-listen to this album, I was like, oh, this is the only other song on the album that could have opened the album. Like they could have opened the album with liar. Uh, and it would have been a good choice because it's got everything and it really introduces them one by one and everything they do. Yeah, this is the longest track on the album, isn't it, Suze? It's that... Oh, yeah. I think it is, right? Is it, is it longer than King Rat? Yeah, oh, yeah. Great King Rat's 5.43 and this is okay. 6 minutes 25, 6 and ah. a half minutes. It's almost a full half minute longer. It's massive. There you go. It has all these amazing sections and stuff, and you think, well, actually, mm. is Bohemian Rhapsody that big a surprise when they do this <laughs> on their first album? Mm. Um, what do you think, Simon? I know that this is, I think Liar's a big favourite of yours, I isn't it? I love Liar. Um, again, you know, 
joining the drummers union i mean it's such a yeah i mean yeah the vocal is extraordinary the guitar rift is amazing but again the drum and the way that's locked in with with john on bass is just phenomenal and i think it goes back to that original story that, that when brian put that little advert up in imperial college looking for a, a drummer you know one of the people that he cited as being you know who he hoped his drummer would be influenced by was um ginger baker mm. and and i think this is that you can see that in what roger's doing here because the drums aren't just there to keep time they are part of the melody they are they are so locked into the whole rhythm and the feel of the song um it's just extraordinary uh, tuneful piece of drumming which mm. and again what a thing to set your stall out on your first album to be doing something like that i think um is is just brilliant and um and that's why i've always loved it and there's that bit i think it's about 5 minutes in where it goes into a bass solo but the again the the roger is replicating the drums the rhythm of the, the of the bass solo in in what he's playing well i wanted to play the gospel bit so maybe should we take it from there and yeah run it through into um into the bit you're talking about yeah definitely the thing that blows my mind about this particular track is because it's written by freddie Mm. and i think generally you think of freddie as writing sort of the piano based songs well but this is as hard rock a track as anything queen's ever done right yeah you would think this was written by brian wouldn't you if you yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. well didn't this song set the precedent for who got the uh sort of royalties and songwriting credits and stuff yes you're absolutely which Which probably caused more trouble than it (laughs) solved over the next sort of 16 years. Well, it's because it's 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 clearly of the product of four musicians. Right. Yeah. And I think that's true on so many Queen tracks that you can maybe tell it's a Brian track or a Freddie track, but you you can't listen to that song and not think, like you say, Roger's input is enormous. Mm. Brian's input is enormous. Why they didn't just go 25, 25, 25, 25 would have saved them a lot of hassle. But then a, a lot of bands have actually split up about that kind of argument. So and I think may, maybe they needed that fight in the studio to, to come up with such good stuff. I think you're right. And also it was only really... They decided to credit everything as Queen themselves much later for their own reasons. And I think the industry was set up in a way that you almost want these bands pitted against each other, right? Divide and conquer and all that kind of stuff. I'm interested though, because Roger has said that he doesn't like the drum sound on this album in general. Wow. Do do you, Simon, do you know why that is or what specifically about the sound he doesn't like? No. I think the the drum sound on Liar is great. I think maybe the next track we get to, um, it's slightly different. Yeah. Um, I don't. Shall I? Shall we find out? Shall that be our yeah. homework for next week? <laughs> That's good. Yeah. 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 What doesn't Roger like about the drums on Queen One, please? It's, Thank uh, you, Simon. <laughs> I mean, just as a layman's response, I think it is a slightly flatter sound than you hear on later albums from Roger. I think there's that sort of, you know, except for maybe a John Deacon track where he likes everything dry and flat. You know. Sorry to butt in, but but mics in the early seventies were terrible with treble. So uh, Ah, drummers could not find the snare drum that they were used to live. They'd tighten up their snare drum, but it would always hiss just a little bit. And it would Ah, always create this kind of slightly hissy, slightly, as Rose saying, flat sound to to snare drums particularly. That's why Bonham used a whole corridor to try and get 
the treble from the echo of his drums rather than the drum hit in itself. That's a great mm-hmm. fact. Thank you it very is. much, producer Giles. That's really good. Yeah, well good. done. All right, so we're going to go gospel bit into hopefully the bit that Simon's talking about. Wow, you gotta listen. Man, I'm gonna be a slave. DJ, wow, <laughs> so massive! It's so massive. Wow. Wow. Who was doing that on their debut albums ever? <laughs> well, Queen. How did the video come about, Simon? Because the video, it it was a music video, wasn't it? Or wasn't it? Or was it? Yeah, no, they made they shot two music videos at the same time: "Keep Yourself Alive" and "Liar." And they went into because in those days, music videos were just the band stood in a on a stage and and performed, and. Um, because Trident, who were their sort of production company at the time, also were a TV production company as well. So they had their own cameras and studio set up and so forth. So it was very easy to go in. But they hired a director um, who ignored everything the band asked for and built this huge white sort of set for them to mm. be on. And they recorded both Keep Yourself and Liar. And the band absolutely hated it because it was not how they wanted to look. So they then went back in got rid of the director and went back in themselves and reshot the videos with them all dressed in black on a black set with it all being much darker and much grittier wow um, and they oh, were just cool. made as promotional videos to sort of get the band out there and and sort of you know give give something for people to look at when they were listening to the music you know record the, a lot of their behavior in these early days is it like they knew exactly what they wanted but if it hadn't worked out for them it would have been very hubristic wouldn't it (laughs) we're not doing that (laughs) well it's interesting it brings up an interesting point actually because there's um this thing about bands having control over their output you'd think that the bands the artists they should have complete control but Mm. particularly at their beginning they really didn't have complete control even though they knew what they wanted and they had a very clear vision and there's this great example of how that came back to haunt them um which i will share with you now if i may yeah this is a a lovely so basically um queen got a a lot of criticism in their early days for, for their songs taking too long to get going um and that will feed into what we talk about seven seas of rye when we get to queen two um but they'd done Liar and it was decided it was going to be released as a single. 
Um, but in America, they were absolutely horrified at how long it was and that, that they would never get any radio play. Um, so they did their own edit of the song. Their American record company did their own edit of, of the song. And without the band's permission or without consulting the band, um, released it. Mm. So there was a three minute hey. cut of Liar that was the Ew. US single version of it, um, which I can play a bit for you now. But before yeah. I do that, can I suggest pod listeners, hearings or whatever we're calling you, just go, just pause the podcast, go and listen to the full six minutes of Liar. Mm. We'll wait and then come back. <laughs> And then this will make sense because if you've not heard the full liar, this will just sound like a song. I have sinned, dear father, father, I have sinned. Try and help me, father, won't you let me in? how Giles edits this podcast it's horrendous <laughs> <laughs> and so that got released and the band were absolutely furious and hated it to this, this very day um, can't stand it so I hope they don't mind us playing that but um, a brilliant <laughs> fan um, called Adam in, in America has broken down so if anyone wants to recreate that um, you need to start at 1 minute 13 go to 2 minutes 13 then jump to 3 minutes 28 uh, till 3.44 and then come back at 4.18 to 4.57, and then 5 minutes 32 to the end. It's like watching yourself back on Mock the Week. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the punchline to that setup. <laughs> oh, man. So how, oh, man. Oh, That's... yeah. Well, that's one of the best Simon says is of all time, and we're only on episode two. It's just genius, that's isn't it? That's huge. That but is absolutely huge. You can hear um, the gears changing, can't you? 
It sounds like they've done it in 20 minutes as well. <laughs> they probably um, did. Yeah, you can just, just see cut, some cut. panicked exec. Yeah, you're right, Sue. Just mm. some panicked exec going, well, yeah, just mathematically, you, these are the only bits you need. Mm. Yeah. But I it's wondered. like starting Bohemian Rhapsody with So You Think You Can Stone Me and Spit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I wonder, actually, if that is why they were so determined when it came to Bohemian Rhapsody and the same thing was you've got to cut this down, why they were absolutely convinced that they were right to refuse that because they'd been through it with Liar and they'd seen, mm. you know, what happens when it gets butchered. I wonder if that's what gave them the resolve to, to hold their hold the line when it came to Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and do you think, I mean, this is definitely a discussion for A Night at the Opera, but do you think after Bohemian Rhapsody that sort of gave them the leverage to, to, to make more of their own decisions with things like release lengths and and stuff because they could just go look you said that last time and look yeah. what happened i'm mm. sure yeah absolutely well it's as sue said you know if if you insist on something and it, it it's a disaster <laughs> you're eating humble pie for for years to come yeah. but if you insist and you were right and they were wrong then you hold on to that high ground and you don't let go mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> john do you remember the first time you heard liar like literally just like the first time you heard it does that i used to i used to play it at parties a lot um <laughs> so it's sort of i have mixed memories of <laughs> how successful the adventure that was that, right? well i just not i just people were like why are you playing a, a, an early queen song i was i was known for ruining parties with early queen or improving them if you ask me um yeah i think it's a, i think it's an extraordinary song i i it's not my favourite song on this side. Oh, yeah. I'll, leave, I'll leave you on tenterhooks, but um, yeah, I absolutely love it. And I think, I think you're right in that. Um, Susie's right in that. When you have vinyl, the first track on the second side is is a lot more important than on a CD, because you're yeah. sort of opening the album again. Mm. You're coming back from an ad break, aren't you? Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and. Um, Certainly... I'd never thought of it that way. Yeah, they so they put this here because you flip the record and yeah. Yeah, and, and especially on Queen Two, that becomes yeah. an even bigger deal mm. because mm. it's black side and white side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a track! Is it fair to say? In contrast, the next track up is "The Night Comes Down" by one Mr. Brian May. Mm. I have an amazing. I had an interesting reaction when I came to this song. So. Uh, I, I, I remember really liking this track as a kid and I started listening to it and I was going, oh, this is... I thought I liked this song a lot more than I did and I was a bit frumpy about it and then the chorus kicked in and I was just merrily singing, oh, the night comes down and singing along quite happily. Uh, so I think it's uh, it's an interesting track. Should we listen to a little bit of uh, The Night Comes Down? Um, I think it's got this sort of... Um, it's got this nice sort of Metallica intro bit. It reminds me of like one or Sanatorium or a track like that. Um, and then the, when but the with lyrics, less helicopter sound effects. Well, yeah, less war. And uh, <laughs> uh, and that sort of mellow start to the lyrics sort of feels quite Beatlesy. It's got that sort of is that a descending bass thing, chord progression. I don't know. Sue's can tell me in a minute. <laughs>
basically the sum of that song there, isn't it? Uh, can I yeah. can I maybe start and then try and backtrack on what I'm about to say? Yes. <laughs> it I love the song, of course I love the song, it's a Queen song. It sounds a bit like no one knows whose song it is in the band. I think Roger's groove is amazing. I think that's the best bit of the song, is he's got that sort of slight pause. Um, his, I've just The notes I've made on this is not enough Brian, uh, not enough John, and Roger's drum skins sound loose. <laughs> there's, there's a sound to the bass drum. It's like it's got almost a bit too much give. And I think the best thing about the song is the, is the intro, up until Freddie coming in, and John's little bass solo. It, I just get the sense it's sort of the least, it's got the least energy about it. It's almost like no mm. one's quite ready to grab the song. Mm. So maybe I'll present that um, sort of devil's advocate opinion and now you guys can provide a bit of balance. But am I right in thinking, isn't it, wasn't this song sort of written while they were recording the album, whereas pretty much everything else had pre-existed the recording of the album okay. as in songs that they'd, they'd sort of tried and tested and played live and had been part well, of those initial demos am I right in but what's that? interesting is if you listen to the Delane Lee uh, demos mm. the Night Comes Down is almost identical whereas like Keep Yourself Alive is really really different mm. right so I wonder whether this song was kind of written and then stopped whereas the others had evolved over months and in some cases years before getting so perhaps that's why it sounds a little underproduced in comparison to the rest which i think some of even brian has has said, and, and john have said that they almost went they were too far in their evolution of those songs when they were finally recorded mm. and laid down lyrically it's very brian mm. isn't it it's mm. a lot of i was a sad boy <laughs> and i almost wish he was singing it yes, yes i think i think it would be much better if he was yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lovely melody, and it would have suited his. Yeah, it brilliant. is. Yeah. For, is Suze, am I right in thinking yeah. Freddie's quite near the top of his register? There, isn't he? he it's um, it's more that he's singing with thin folds. <laughs> with what? It's, uh, it's 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 on the cusp of being full falsetto. Right. But because I think we said in the last episode, didn't we? I, I was saying how his voice is uh, it's always the same all the way up so when he's singing in falsetto it doesn't sound like he's flipping into falsetto it sounds like it's part of his voice but he's very consciously i imagine he was singing very quietly very very close to the mic yeah. to record mm. this um and it's all quite a thin sound and it is. yeah i just wish it was uh, i'd like to hear brian's version i wonder if there is one mm. i'd love to have been there when he if he maybe played it to the band for the first time mm. yeah because isn't the sort of title a reference to the fact that whenever they went to record, it was getting dark because they were doing it in the middle oh. of the night? Uh, that's what the song's all about. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, such a useful it's... podcast, guys. <laughs> I find quite a lot with Queen songs. You go, wow, I wonder what this meant. I wonder what Bicycle Race meant. And then you you do some Google and it's like, we came up with this song after seeing a clip of the Tour de France. <laughs> you go, okay, it's, uh, I, I've been looking into this too deeply. Oh, right, okay, it's just that then. There's no metaphors. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's... Uh, look, it, it, it is... 
in the bombast and quite heavy metal of the whole album, it does sit in quite a nice position on the album, and it is merry enough to enjoy. A lot. It's difficult. Well, I think if you didn't have this between liar and modern times rock and roll, you would feel a bit <laughs> like you'd been punched in the face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I have a soft spot for it in the same way as I have a soft spot for Captain America: The First Avenger. It's not like the best one. There's nothing technically wrong with it, and I've sort of it gets me in my tum tums quite nicely. But I couldn't tell anyone. Oh, check this song out. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, start with this one. What do you think, Simon? We, we need a we need we to to avoid the inevitable backlash. We need you to say it's your absolute favourite ever Queen. It's song. definitely up there in my top three for sure. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> it's, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, everyone's going to have favourites and ones that they they turn to. I, I'll admit, it's not a song I listen to very often. But whenever I do, it brings a smile to the face, and, yeah. and I maintain the melody is beautiful and. And I think, John, you've nailed it on the head. It's exactly the song you want in between Liar and Modern Times rock and roll. And, I, and I'm sure that's why it's there where it is. As, as Rose said, it's perfectly positioned. Um, I, if that is the weakest song on the album, if that's what we're saying, then it's a brilliant album, isn't it? Really? It is a really brilliant album. And, and, and it, yeah, it's, you, know, you, you are talking about you know, songs of enormous bombast and impact and this is just a gentle song amongst them. What's wrong with that? Yeah. That's absolutely lovely, you know. And you're right; it makes the other songs, it enriches the other songs on the album as well. It has it absolutely has its place on that album. Yeah. As if we haven't heard enough from the man with amazing things, but we're now into our feature called Simon Says, <laughs> because Simon says once in a while I've got something really amazing to blow your minds with. What have you got to blow our minds with this week, please, Simon? Um, and is it guaranteed to blow your mind? Oh. <laughs> I'm going to make a note of that because that's that's got quite a nice ring to it. Um, <laughs> well, I thought seeing as the, the little interview clips went down very well, last time didn't they uh, with yeah. with tom brown and his 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 interview there is there is one more which um uh i thought i'd share and then i've got something else but we'll save that till the end um right. but this what we're saying really is you know how liar you know sort of was was attacked for sort of having too long an introduction and so forth by the critics um queen's relationship with the critics has been an interesting one and is a topic we will touch on many times i'm sure um but yes, here's a little clip of the guys sort of reflecting on and how the response was to this album um, and what that sort of meant to them. Um, and there was interesting, there was something that I, I found quite amusing is uh, John Peel um, actually gave a positive um, reaction to the album. Um, but his quote was um, that it had some pleasing guitar and synthesizer work which I thought was quite interesting given that John Peel's normally a bit of a legend when it comes to this and as quite clearly says on the album, no synths were no used. Synths, so yeah. um, it's John good that John was a fool. thought that they were... Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 that was particularly good. Well, um, see what a fool John Peel's been. Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, here, here's Tom, a bit more of, from the Tom Brown interview. You don't like the music press, I understand. No, to be perfectly honest, no. <laughs> um, but from the very sort of beginning, I think, uh, as far as say, the musical press are concerned, I mean, they they like, I mean, even now, they like to sort of put, a, put sort of up-and-coming bands into a sort of particular bag for, for what they think. And I think we sort of just rebelled. I mean, we wanted to sort of 
do what we thought was right and not sort of go along with what they were saying. And I think since the very early stages, we've, there's always been this sort of um, fracas between... Yes, it started between from the day two, one yes, with day the release one. of our first album. Plus the fact that before uh, our, our first actual release, we were virtually totally unheard of, and then suddenly we were not particularly famous, but heard of at least... And uh, they always like to think they've got one up on you and they've oh. always like to pr- think they've predicted something. Yes. You know? And all of a sudden there we were. And, and we were playing to quite a lot of people. And uh, it took people rather by surprise, I think. For the second consecutive week I can get in uh, Frank Zappa reference because <laughs> he, he once described... Uh, ro- he said, most rock journalism is people who can't write interviewing people who can't talk for people who can't read. <laughs> oh, OK. All oh, right, OK. Though obviously Queen are not a group of the people who can't talk. The thing that really strikes me, it was lovely to hear Freddie's response, but what tickled me about that little clip that you played, Simon, was the way Roger speaks (laughs) about the press in general just doesn't seem to ever have changed at all (laughs) over his entire lifetime. He has the same... It's like, it's not out and out rude, it's just this sort of very well-worded sort of frustrated just like he's had enough of them at all points yeah. in his career it's the same thing that I saw him kind of dealing with when he had to go on that um, is it TVAM after Freddie passed and he kind oh, of yeah, you know that moment yeah. but also like even more recently where you know you see him in interviews and stuff and his his attitude to the media is is exactly the same as what, what is he 22 23 year olds here three well, years it, old here. it reminds me about you know when you were a kid and if you were you'd done something bad and your parents would take that whole line of we're not cross we're just really disappointed <laughs> and that's what i think roger is yeah. he's, he's not yeah. angry he's just he's just disappointed and yeah. i think that's yeah. that's much worse isn't it it's like yeah i think he just oh. thinks they're you know he, i think it's lazy yeah. laziness is what he thinks uh, i think also queen as individuals are probably more considered and articulate in response to uh music journalists than perhaps music journalists would ideally like yeah mm. yeah mm-hmm because you can tell that you can tell they've thought about what they're going to say and they're they're thinking while they're saying it as well. Yeah, because they they, they yeah. do tread a line there. They they are um, they're sort of doing the politics of of talking to journalists. They know that journalists are going to be hearing this. They know that they're speaking to a music journalist. There, there is an awareness. It's sort of I found myself in that position where you're having to be quite tactful about the behaviour of, I don't know, a particular actor or something like that, where, you know, where what you mean is, <laughs> but what you're saying is, well, you know, sometimes they're, they're demanding, but they've got every right to be demanding, if you think about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's that, it's very, it's very, yeah, they're very well worded. So I have got right. one more thing to play you, which um, was how Electra Records, who were the record company that released the first Queen album in the States, um, thought this would be the best way to promote the album to the American audience who had never heard of Queen before. Um, so they made this radio ad. Um, and to the best of my knowledge, I don't think anyone's heard this, <laughs> or not many people have heard this Woo! since it went out back in 1973. Oh, my God, this is so um, exciting. This I'm, is a proper Simon Says. It's. I'm just going to share... This is what I'm talking about. I'm just really... Curious to see what you all make of it. <laughs> 
Um, okay, are you ready? Recently, while shopping for records, I noticed a little white rabbit scurrying across the floor, muttering to himself something about being late for a date with Queen. Disappearing into the center hole of an old 45, he turned around and said, Look out! Being rather diminutive, I followed him down the hole, only to find myself in the clutches of Queen. But you can't believe me when I tell you that Queen is British rock in the royal tradition on Electra Records and Tape. What? I love it. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> it's extraordinary, isn't it? That's amazing. Well, the it's a music's better single good. than Liar cut down to three bits. <laughs> so let me get this that's straight. Fire. This is this is for American audiences to buy the record. It's a radio advert that was yeah released Played by Electra. in America. Yeah. So, so this proves that American Americans love the British accent. Like even back then, they thought, "Oh, very refined." But only at the beginning of an advert. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah I think they only <laughs> paid for like twenty words of an English accent, and then it sort of really slips. let it slip. Yeah, uh, it's really strange. It's, also, it's like a, a rabbit told me about this album at the end. Just kidding, he didn't. <laughs> but but <laughs> it's yeah. very clear that the entire advertising industry at that point was really enjoying their acid yeah <laughs> eating big bowls of cocaine ludicrous <laughs> absolutely ludicrous the music's fantastic particularly yeah, how they segue really from cut. them singing liar to don't believe everything you read in the bible it's sort of like <laughs> it really wasn't yeah. a right white rabbit you know <laughs> <laughs> bit, bit unfair that keep yourself alive gets two 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 goes round. well there you go but fine but fine yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, what a gorgeous tidbit! Yeah, I must. What a great yeah. little Easter egg! M- must thank Greg Brooks for for not only finding that in, initially and uh, sort of you know getting that into the Queen archive, but for for letting us have a have a, a sneak preview. There's a couple more adverts um, along the similar lines, but really? they, oh, brilliant! Yeah, yeah, but they'll uh, they'll 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 sit in the archive and come out eventually. But um, <laughs> I love that phrase, you know. You know, Queen is in the right royal rock tradition, as if as if we had lots of royal based <laughs> rock bands in the seventies. Yeah, extraordinary. Ah, oh, do you think our current marketing will sound like that if it doesn't? Four years it from should. now, it right? It will come round again. Well, yeah. they'll be just like, what were they thinking in the in the? Well, there's no advertising in the twenty twenties because. We're screwed. No, so we're on that note, <laughs> you can go now. Thank you, everyone. I think that's one of the most <laughs> marvelous things. Thank you, Simon. Oh, cheers, Simon. Let's get back to the album uh, and the track. Roger Taylor's Roger Meadows Taylor's track, uh, "Modern Times Rock and Roll." Is it "Modern Times Rock and Roll"? That is my question to you. Should we hear a bit of it? Yeah. yeah. There's two bits that I love in this track. I thought let's uh, let's actually hear the vocals going into the chorus. And then the bit that I really like on this track 
comes here. I think we all know what it is, really. But I am desperate to know who we think this is. Look out! Who does the look out? Is it Deacon John? <laughs> it, could it be Deacon John? Yeah. No, There's only one good. song he ever sung on, wasn't there? As, as I remember, I can't remember which one it is. <laughs> liar, I think. Is it yeah. Liar? God, we should have mentioned that when we were talking about Liar. Hey, guess what, guys? <laughs> Liar's the only track that John Deacon has purportedly uh, sung on. Modern Times Rock and Roll, who sings the look out at the end? It's probably going to end up just being Freddie doing yet another bit of his voice. <laughs> <laughs> just another bit of Freddie's just, voice. Just he's like, oh, I can access this if you want. Look out. <laughs> it's awesome. I, I, every time I hear that, I'm just like, was that Brian? Could that be Brian? <laughs> no, his voice doesn't have that. Yeah, maybe it's Fred. Maybe it's Fred. Could it be Roger? Do we just think of him as a soprano all the time and don't think do he's want, capable? Do you of want it? an answer to the question? Oh, you, John! Have you googled it? Have you just googled yeah, it? Yeah, I've googled oh, it. Oh. <laughs> Is it Mike Stone? It's not Mike Stone. Oh. Any any other guesses? It is uh, producer John Anthony. John ah. Anthony. Oh. And I've just found a website that I'm going to be using a lot over the coming weeks. <laughs> JohnAnthony.com. <laughs> oh, what's the website? It is queensongs.info. Right, yes. And it includes the fact Roger sings the lead vocals and his voice has an echoing delay about 200 to 300 milliseconds. Ah. In the chorus, his voice is panned from left to right. His cool <laughs> delayed vocal at the end of the song has a much longer feedback than the rest. Oh, oh well, I'm going to be up late looking at this website. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what I'm saying to you, the hearings out there. Yeah. This is the kind of information that you can only get on this this uh, this podcast. You're never gonna you're never gonna find any of this information anywhere at the last second, googling in a panic. <laughs> uh, that is an amazing bit. Of it. So yeah, so John Anthony was with them for a while, right? And in, in, in the early years, and then kind of drifted off amicably right he was the one of their engineers or something as i remember i don't know yeah that's right and then the band took more and more control really over producing their own stuff um and i think mike stone became their engineer of Mm -hmm. of choice choice. for a long time Um, for at least the first five albums i think yeah um so modern times rock and roll it's only one minute 48 seconds long Mm. so it's a really short punchy track to me it's again it Roger dips into this. It's an unusual track, but it, it's it is a sort of early punk track. I think it's probably intended as a bit of a heavy metal thrash metal type sound. Uh, but yes, who's a big fan of modern times rock and roll? I like, like it. It doesn't really fit on the album, does it? <laughs> in, a, in a fun, like in a fun way. <laughs> But it's it's it it does fit with other similar Roger um, creations. So it, it mm. reminds me of Sheer Heart Attack, mm. the song, and Rocket Prime Jive. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and it's almost like they sit in a little sort of Roger house, and so it sort of makes sense alongside those songs. Yeah, um, but it does it it feels less like the rest of the songs on the album than than any other. Yeah. yeah, I just wonder though when you when you they're writing these songs, they they must have one eye on we're going to need to do these live, and 
he's just given himself the most ridiculously fast <laughs> drum beat to maintain. <laughs> it's crammed as many lyrics in as he can, and he's going to have to do both. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you think he thought that through? <laughs> Did he? Was would he sing it live as well? Then would Freddie take a, a one minute forty eight seconds off? I can't. I can't remember if they did it live or not. Actually, we should should look that up. Whether yeah. he, whether he did it, but I suspect they probably didn't. But I know they did a BBC session of it, which the tempo is slower. Okay. Um, right. Than than this version. So I wonder if that was that was because he was just going to keel over after doing it. <laughs> yeah. How many takes a night could he do? Yeah. <laughs> you know they're recording this stuff at like three in the morning, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but it was it's phenomenal. It yeah, is. It. It's it's an angry, brilliant burst of noise, uh, and uh, you know, I've I, I. It's another track on this album where I I couldn't profess to say I love it. It's not one of those songs that I'm gonna go to and play to people and go, oh, check this out. This is some Queen you've never heard about. Um, and yet, whenever it comes up, it just puts that massive great grin on my face and has me jumping up and down and yeah. rocking my head about mm. um, and, and and risking a stroke. I love it. Um, okay, well, I think we should move on to the next track track on the album, which to me, I think is mighty. Um, let us hear "Son and Daughter Roar." a track so that's one uh, that's a son and daughter written by brian may it's three minutes 21 seconds long and it is righteous now this is a track that i will always pull out and play to people go do you know that queen did this on their first album this is what they sounded like it is a track that i'm so i just it's it's Giles used to have this. I'm going to nick your joke on this, Giles, but he said there's uh, two ways to play electric guitar. You can either solo and be amazed at what you're soloing as you look down at it, like, whoa, or you could just be disgusted with it and pull it. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> the only two ways to solo. I'm so sorry I stole that off you. That is entirely producer Giles' joke. <laughs> I didn't even let him tell it. Um, <laughs> it is, it, or at least I'm giving you credit, but you must cut those credits out um the, <laughs> uh, oh gosh i'm buzzing just hearing a bit of it uh, that is a track that i cannot hear without pulling a massive frown and just 
<laughs> that riff is so hardcore. Uh, and I know that everyone we, we, we discussed on the last one there's a big uh, lot of fans for my, my Fairy King on this album but for me this is by far my not only my favourite track on the album it's one of my all time favourite Queen songs actually um, it is just pure rock uh, and it stands up against any kind of heavy rock you're going to hear anywhere that's my piece said on it let's hear what you guys have to say <laughs> <Yeah>. on it <laughs> I think it's almost unique in Queen's catalogue because it's sexy. And wow. as no matter what you think about Queen, you couldn't really make an argument that they're a very sort of sexy band. <laughs> in terms of like, I mean, I'm attracted to all of them for different reasons. <laughs> and I think Freddie is very sexy. But in terms of the sound... It's often very full, full on. It's very orchestrated. It can be very tender, but it's not often that it's actually raunchy. Mm. And I, I think this is an absolute stone cold banger of a song. And mm. uh, like I said on the last podcast, even songs that Freddie didn't write, he brings to them something of his own. Mm sort of state of mind or perhaps I, I said last week of the phrase that bothered me I said he had a lot of coming out songs and I think that's more sim I, that sounds more simplistic than I meant it it's not like he sat down and said right I'm I'm definitely gay or I'm definitely bi and I'm definitely going to write a song about that I'm not saying that's what was going on but he certainly has songs where he sort of is able to explore that his sort of sexual world and this is one of those songs but it was written by brian mm. so i i mean though i would never ask any member of queen what's this song about i would i would <laughs> this is one where i would really like to know where it came from if you were to take a song like get down make love that's a sexual song but i wouldn't say it was a sexy song yeah, no. <laughs> no the only song sorry the only song that i can think of in that vein is another brian may song which is um fat bottom girls i think is a sexy song yes i think right? that is a sexy song mm. but the, yeah, but it's a more it's, in that... it's a more cheeky sexy song sure whereas this actually feels sex yeah <laughs> raunchy, it's raunchy. arousing yeah well. and you, but you're not quite, quite sure why i can imagine like alan partridge listening to this song and go you just this is confusing because you, you think it's a man i'm certainly a woman. i'm certainly relieved that zoom just does mid shots on the on the uh, on the call that's great but it sounds so raw because unusually i'm guessing this is unusual for queen but there's a lot of distortion on the vocal Mm. so it, that adds to it just sort of sounding really sort of breathless and mm. and um sort of rough and ready mm. so is this is essentially is this essentially a blues riff i guess so yeah that yeah yeah it's definitely got that element can i can i say something mm. <laughs> As the um resident female on, the, <laughs> on queen pod um this song, this is the first time I've really gone and looked at the lyrics. Yeah, they are problematic, right. aren't they? <laughs> it's not even that they're problematic because this is from 1973. Right. But what it felt like to me is a facsimile of what a, what <laughs> Brian May thinks a cool rock singer would say to a woman <laughs> who's, <laughs> who's, who's being too much 
who's who's not behaving enough like a woman is being too much of a feminist. I don't necessarily <laughs> think that's what Brian May believes, but it's a lot of like, s- stop being such a feminist, just be a woman, <laughs> which, which then, like, it sort of adds to my enjoyment of a song that slaps. Yeah, for me, the lyrics have sort of more recently become problematic. I think when well, I was a kid. Yeah, it's like, um, it's a, this is a song from the POV of someone who's not very nice to women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's studying. I love it. I think it's amazing. And I think Freddie's vocal on it is, it's a smash. The whole album is a big old showcase for like everything he can do. I think that's the thing. Any track where, you know, they all let rip and they're a full rock, rock band. And, and Freddie does have that. He's got a rock voice as hard as oh. anyone out there, you mm-hmm. know. That that sort of growl that he can put into his voice is absolutely mm. extraordinary. Yeah. And no one's holding back on this track, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's heavy bass, massive drums, huge guitars, all doing yeah. something actually relatively simple with Fred just tour de forcing through the whole thing. It's an extraordinary it. track. Susan's blown my mind. I had never read the song like that before. And <laughs> I, it's all I, up for discussion, obviously. Well, I always just assumed in my head it's Freddie Mercury saying to a man, I want you to be a woman. <laughs> but it's obviously not that. But, but that's like, like that's what Freddie brings to those lyrics, yeah. I yes. guess, yeah. in retrospect. Yeah. But, if um, he'd written it, I'd probably think the same. Yes. But yeah. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... it's, it's it's a huge track. There's no question about it. And it became a staple of the live shows mm. at that time. And um, you can absolutely see why. It must have been such fun to do in a mm. gig and for, for a crowd to, to immerse themselves. I think, I think in certainly in, in some gigs it got paired with father to son as well. So you're getting the ah. whole family, basically, all just sort of wrapped <laughs> up into the two songs. Um, so you know that's coming on the next album. So um, yeah, I mean, what I, and I seem to remember it being played quite early in shows as well. So it was sort of part of the big deafen them and blind them at the beginning type thing. And um, it sounds huge on the album, but live, it's a, it's an it's another monster, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's the the second verse does sort of move away from that first more gendered reading into. Yeah being about that sort of power corrupts yeah and that mm-hmm. the people who sell an idea of a utopia become the problem that they're trying to solve yeah. um yeah. which i think is probably a you know wouldn't want to put words into his mouth but i would say brian would agree with that in 2020 as much as yeah. um yeah. in 1972 absolutely um and i'd love that line what do you think of heaven if it's back from where you came i think that's a fantastic mm, yeah. that's just a fantastic lyric yeah. yeah yeah it's true and i think that's true musically as well where out of all of the tracks particularly on this album but certainly for them in the 70s well really through their career this this idea that their their songs were made up of lots of parts and they were you know they were very esoteric and they kind of went to lots of you know they're very eclectic and kind of brought in loads of things. this song is a fairly relatively coherent riff based neat track but even then that last minute of the song just goes nuts musically and guitars start shrieking out everywhere and it still breaks down and you know their their phds start to kick in and they get really i don't know i don't know what do you think so musically what goes on there 
oh yeah it's <clears throat> well it's just yet more of queen going i think we can do this mm. and because they can do it mm. and there's there's no playing safe just because it's a first album mm. which goes for just about every track and the order they've been put in really doesn't it mm. Mm. they're not playing safe at all uh, I, I, this is not a very open question, but I'm going to ask it. But um, uh, does anyone have any particular? It's like so for me, I've got a really personal connection to that song. It, 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 every time I hear it, it takes me straight back to when I was, uh, I guess, fourteen, fifteen. By the time I got round to buying this album, and um, and uh, you know, like I said earlier, you know, wearing it almost like a badge of there's proof that Queen are amazing, you know, mm. <laughs> at a time where they weren't. And um, and even now, you know, I, I did it. Uh, it was only last October. I was uh, hanging out with a, a mate around Bedford Square in London, and and I was just chatting about uh, Queen and how much I loved it. And then I just went, actually, do you know what? Just listen to this. And I played Son and Daughter at him out of my iPhone speaker you know, with traffic going around. And he just went, what is this Queen? Which is exactly the response you want whenever you play anyone a lesser known Queen track. Yeah. And, it, you know, and it just, every time I hear it, it just it makes me feel invincible as a Queen fan, as a lover of music, <laughs> as all of those things. And I, I wonder if anyone else, I don't know if anyone has that kind of relationship with it or knows some amazing fact about it. Uh, not particularly with that song, but I know ex exactly what you mean. It's yeah. it, it's that thing of some people know Queen for doing certain things, and what's interesting actually is that a lot of people more recently have come to Queen's music without realizing it is Queen. You know, yeah. they they hear a song and they think, I love that song, and you go, Oh, it's Queen. And they go, Is it? You know, it's mm. sort of because they've seen it maybe on on a film or out, you know somewhere else, not yeah. on a Queen product. Yeah, um, I had it just last week. Someone went, Radio Gaggers by Queen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I think it, it, it's great. And it taps into what Susan's saying about Queen going, oh, yeah, we could do that. And we can do that. Is every time someone mentions some kind of strange, esoteric form of music, you can go, oh, well, actually, you know. I mean, my daughter, you know, the other day picked up a ukulele to play and I was going, I think you'll find that Queen uh, have got some songs with a ukulele on it. And I go, really? And it's like, yeah. Yeah. yes, they even do that. And it's sort of, that's, that, those are lovely moments, aren't they? When you, when yeah. you surprise someone with a, with a Queen track. So let me ask this then guys, what is your proof of Queen song? If mine is son and daughter, if I go check this track out, mm. what's yours? Which is the one that you go to for that? Stone Cold Crazy. Oh, bang! Yeah, I always show people that. What an answer. Stone Cold Crazy! Woo! I'd go for My Melancholy Blues. Oh. Ah! That's the song I would put on and and I would and I would say if you think you know Queen mm. listen mm -hmm. to this mm. and it remains one of my all-time greats it is a magical yeah. song so come and get me let me get in that sinking feeling that says my heart is on an all-time it for auditions when they yeah. when they've gone when it's a an actor muso piece and they need you to show you can play an instrument i'll play my melancholy blues it's a Quite bugger badly. to sing surely yeah. it's all right 
if you're a girl. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, oh yeah, you'd never find a a man doing that in some piano bar. Let me. It it sits in such an uncomfortable part of the male voice, yet Freddie's just like, there it is. Yeah. It's yeah, that's an extraordinary track because uh, in, in, it's the one track that even even when in those years where I'm not listening to Queen as much as I might be at other times, it somehow the lyrics to that track just are in my head. It, you know, mm. I might forget the lyrics to One Vision or a kind of magic or whatever, but I won't forget the lyrics to My Melancholy mm. Blues somehow, mm-hmm. and I will be singing it to myself as I walk down the street and stuff. But mm-hmm. Stone Cold Crazy is a brilliant answer as well. I mean. That, it's that's another just awesome bang. Have you heard the Metallica cover of that? Yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. it's not as good. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> what's yours, Simon? Have you thought of one? Because you're you're, you're I, Simon's face uh, did the most amazing scrunching when I asked that question. <laughs> but there are so many. <laughs> it is there is so many. But one that I rediscovered not long ago, and and it was um, you take my breath away. Uh, oh yeah. yes, mate. Because it, it's just so much going on in that song. You know the meanings behind it and what it could mean. I've recently rediscovered that one. fans you're going to find uh, 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 let's see if I could do this so Stone Cold Crazy you'll find on Sheer Heart Attack uh, my melancholy blues you'll find on News of the World right yeah and uh, uh, what was your Simon sorry you take my breath away which is obviously on day at the races so I should have said that one second chronologically <laughs> <laughs> another thing with um, son and daughter you know how you were saying road that on night comes down Roger and John are working very close together. Right. On Son and Daughter, it's Brian and John working really close together, and that's what makes that riffs feel so full and makes the song feel like so driven. Mm. And it's it's nice. It sort of shows the flexibility of the little pairings in the band. Mm. Mm. That that you, you know we could all give an example of a song where it's kind of, well, my melancholy blues is an example of where it's sort of Freddie and John. And this is a song where it's Brian and John, mm. and there are songs where it's Freddie and Roger, and they're sort of mm. these wonderful dynamics that that go in between the different the different members. Awesome, absolutely awesome, yeah. absolutely brilliant track, absolutely love it. So that now brings us to the section of the show that we like to call News of the World. Come on, honey. <laughs> have a little chat about stuff that's going on in the world of Queen at the moment and and that really is uh, I'm going to say that I know I said this at the lo- in the last episode but you might not have listened to that uh, if you want up-to-date Queen information you can use this thing they've got now called the internet and that is a, like it's totally available there in spades this is not that this is just some stuff that's going on with Queen at the point at which we're recording this episode that we want to have a chat about and maybe uh, that'll encourage you to go check out what they're up to uh, Simon Drew 
uh, our attention to uh, our friends over on the Queen Official YouTube channel uh, are doing this little series of roadies on lockdown, which is absolutely delightful, like five-minute little videos. There's three of them up now. The first one was uh, Andy Buse is the show's stage manager, kind of. Yeah, it's all shot while they're putting the gigs together, and he's properly, like, takes you through how it all gets made. And they do it all with this sort of sort of pretty classic roadie humour, which is really enjoyable. The second episode is Jez Webb, who's the bass technician for Neil Fairclough, who's their bass player at the moment. And the third one, which I really enjoyed, was Sam Augustus, who's the Black Tracks engineer. So he's the guy who runs these lights that automatically track the band as they move around the stage. And that episode's great because it, that that was based on that apocryphal Australian gig where it was bucketing down and he had it basically up and running 10 minutes before the gig started. Mm. But it's a really lovely look at the And I guess you know all these people, right? Because you've shot at these gigs, right? You've met these people and had to deal with them. I bet, I bet some of them, yes. But it's, it's, the, the, these are put together by um, uh, a fantastic uh, gentleman called Steve Price who is the band's sort of go-to... Um, tour video director so he's the one that handles the, the you know directs the cameras that film the gig that get, then get put up on the, the big screens right. when you're there watching the, the shows and so he directs those and, and cuts what goes up on the big screens um, and while he's on tour he's been just filming all this backstage stuff and I think there's a real I mean I'm sure every band says this but genuinely whenever I've come into contact with them there is this genuine family sort of feeling of, of being part of the, the queen tour um and you just go into this bubble don't you you just go from gig to gig to gig and mm. there's you know lots of hysterical characters in there and i think those videos really capture them but i was really taken with that that third one where it was a gig in brisbane where it, i mean it rained but not like in britain when it rains i mean it properly hammered it down for days Oh yeah, and, it was monsoon um, rain. It was a it was a logistical nightmare to sort of try and get the show, even to sort of have any semblance of what it should be, mm. but it it did. And everyone I've spoken to who was there said the atmosphere was electric because the crowd were just so thrilled that the show was going ahead <laughs> despite mm. this. And you kind of felt like you were seeing something unique, you know, and you were part of this moment and. Yeah, the band had umbrellas. They built a sort of um, kind of gazebo thing at the end of the thrust, so that when they were down there, they had some kind of protection. But right, it was just they, everyone was just battling it the whole way through the show. And if you've seen the show, there's a bit um, towards the end of uh, "I Want It All" where they have these huge sort of cannons that fire smoke into the air, and uh, apparently they had filled up with water. So when that moment came, before the smoke erupted, a huge wave of water was wow. just thrown over the, over the stage because these cannons are quite deep and they'd sort of half filled with, with water. And then the cannons wouldn't switch off because of the, the water had got into it. And so the guy was there sort of saying, I, I can't turn them off. So the band are singing and the smoke is just continuing to... <laughs> To play, and I've seen a clip of it, and Adam just vanishes into this sort of <laughs> haze of smoke that just won't ever end. Um, but what was really remarkable is that when the the gig finished, of course, they're on such a tight schedule to to be at the next venue that 
everything just got thrown in the back of the trucks as it always does you know state equipment stripped off the stage is taken within hours they're they've gone everything's loading the trucks and it was when they got to the next venue and unloaded they were tipping water out of the back of amps and all sorts that had been in there and they'd taken with them to the next venue it sounds horrific but the show went on and apparently was 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 amazing the band sounded great the crowd had a great time and uh, and it's, you capture that in that little video so it's well worth watching it for that it is yeah. worth watching that doesn't sound remotely so i thought when you said oh the atmosphere was really electric because water's a fantastic yeah. conductor of electricity absolutely no, 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 one, no one was it, hurt in the making of that absolutely concert. astonishing it doesn't sound like the no one does it sounds like no one's done a risk assessment of course they have. <laughs> of course they have i'm sure they have um well that's news of the world so let's get on to uh, the final part of uh, the, the, uh, this entire album. We've re- re- reached the end. We're going to have a look at this uh, this song called Jesus, which is written by Freddie Mercury. It's three minutes, 44 seconds long. Um, and I thought I'd play... Uh, there's some bits from here that I thought were worth playing. So um, I'll just... Uh, what I love is that it opens in such a way that you go... You get from the verse to the chorus within... 20 seconds <laughs> Then I saw him in the crowd A lot of people had gathered round him The beggar shouted to the lepers called him The old man said nothing He just stared about him only a short little burst but I just wanted to play this um, this guitar solo into the fast bit because <laughs> the guitar sounds like a harpsichord to me and then the track just goes absolutely loopy <laughs> a couple of bits from Jesus uh, and then that second bit I could swear I'm hearing a kazoo in there somewhere <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing if you took her all the moments in Queen's albums where Brian's guitar sounds like an instrument other than a guitar mm. <laughs> there's bagpipes a kazoo trumpet pianos trumpet. it's pretty much yeah. trumpet it's it's I love Jesus as, as a song mm. it, what's what's amazing <laughs> and as a guy yeah. when um when I was getting into Queen my my dad wasn't around and he was he was a very religious guy so when I would go and visit him I, the, it was sort of my means of communication with him was basically to play him all of Queen's songs where there was some kind of religious element. <laughs> wow. And so I, I I have some very vivid memories of all of Queen's more, like so like Prophet's song. Mm-hmm. I remember playing to him and he said it's about um, Noah's Ark. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. It's about <laughs> Noah's Ark. So sort of Queen's religious output holds a sort of special place for me um and this 
what's amazing about this is it's quite straightforward sort of lyrically it, it is just a song about jesus mm. yeah. Yeah. it's not yeah. there's nothing else going on there yeah. um i i loved it it's good and, and oh, still please, love it. oh, please. Yeah. it's great because it's quite it's a nice little aside almost because queens sort of tend to write songs about emotions or or feelings or or just you know stuff that's utter nonsense you know that just amuses them or inspired them but this feels like it's telling a story, doesn't it? Which I know a lot of other bands did, but Queen don't tend to do that very much. Just sort of, as you say, to be literal with their lyrics where they are describing a scene or a, or an event that's taking place. And I think, I think it's, it's a lovely addition to the album because of that. Mm. Yeah. i tell you another song where they tell a story is 39. Mm, yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like the, they sort of have crowds in the song. Mm. So you can sort of feel the, the all of the people there. <laughs> what a, that's the lamest point I've ever made. <laughs> no. We must make sure it makes the cut, Giles. Write that down. Um, Suze, what, yes. what genre of music is this? Is it hymnal? Is that what it is? It's not really. It doesn't have... Because um, Freddie has done songs that have, like, brought counterpoint in them or they'll sound like uh, 19th century hymns. And this doesn't really... It sounds like... It sounds like quite a lot of the rock music that was around at that time. Right. But do you know what it reminds me of? Um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar. Sure. It's brilliant. It's from about this time. But similarly, it's about um, Jesus as this magnetic prophet who wasn't necessarily the son of God. And it's exactly the same theme as this song by Queen... Yes, religious songs in Queen. It feels like they do it a bit quite early on. Uh, obviously, there's some stuff in Queen too, and then uh, so almost the next time, like they kind of abandon that theme for a while, and then suddenly, years later on Innuendo, which I think does Innuendo is an amazing album. The reason I mentioned it a few times with both these episodes is because it does refer back to this album in some ways, mm. and one of those tracks is All God's People, which mm. is another Freddie tr- Freddie driven track, I suspect. Um, and uh, that whole kind of gospel, you know, the Lord. I mean, this is a guy who has more, you know, I understand when he does Mustafa with his tongue firmly in his cheek on the jazz album, right? That is his <laughs> ethnic background, and that's what he grew up. Those are the sounds that he had growing up. And I, he was in, in a choir in, um, uh, in Mumbai, right? But um, what is that about? Where was this... Where was all this sort of God music coming from? Was it? Is that well, I think we're, we're looking at it through a very uh, atheist lens of sort of 2020 Britain, mm. which is not very, not a very, um, I guess, secular and non-secular mixed up. Are we non-secular <laughs> now? Uh, no, I pretty we're much. secular. I get a mix. We're secular. <laughs> <laughs> but even, even in the 70s, you know, uh, Church of England, sort of Christianity, Methodism, Catholicism were still huge parts of people's everyday life. Mm. And I think it it sort of intertwined with the fantasy and folklore imagery mm. um, that's coming out in Queen 1 and 2. Right. I mean, the Prophet song from Night of the Opera is their, their sort of quasi-religious opus. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's, pro- that's their, I, I would say that's their most ambitious song off yeah, any album. Right. Right. More, and and is sort of 
the song Bohemian Rhapsody could have been (laughs) (laughs) in a a bad way. Bow rap Um, on change, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But what's interesting about this is it's just so straight. The lyrics are so straightforward. It's telling sort of uh, the story of, of Christ. There's no sort of, there's no tongue-in-cheek or there's no sort of irony going on no. anywhere. It could, it, you almost think, well, that, a song like that could have entered the school curriculum and that would be what kids would sing yeah. in their school music classes, you know. Oh, please. No, that <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, yeah, yeah so cool. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's, um, there we go. I, I, yeah, I don't know if I have more of an it's it's sort of the first time we hear this fascination with religion that they have had because a lot of their songs uh when you go later on i i always think of show must go on as a like a really godless song like deliberately so without even saying it Mm. and then they have other songs where they like we say they they talk about religion in a way that they're interested in it mm. such an amazing description of show must a godless song that's really (laughs) nailed it because it is it's imbued with this Decay and rot and peeling mm. paint and it's incredible. Yeah, uh, but there we go. Yeah, they they essentially finish this song with Jesus, uh, and then we get a song that's almost finally we, we we end up with a song that's almost as long as Modern Times Rock and Roll, which is a Mercury composition, which is Seven Seas of Rye, Rye being a fantasy world that he created uh, with his sister as a kid, and he refers to it in a number of songs. He refers to it in Lily of the Valley. On is that on Sheer Heart Attack? My Fairy Queen and March of the Black Queen mm. uh, from Queen Two. My Fairy King, obviously, from the first side of this album, um, and it was essentially designed and placed here as an unfinished song with the intention that Queen Two would then open with the completed version of that song, and that was the idea mm-hmm. behind it. Um, I think we might as well just listen to a little bit of it because we'll we'll listen to the song itself on the next album. Uh, and I think the interesting bit is when it when it runs out of the bit that we know. <laughs> um, and the other thing about it, of course, is this was their first hit, right? Seven Seas got to number ten once it was a completed song off Queen yeah. Two. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is it's kind of nice to get an embryonic version of this. <laughs> It's so interesting yeah. to hear a song's intro used as an outro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so true. That's and so I true. and I wonder if because what's the big one of the big differences between Queen One and Queen Two is that on Queen Two the songs segue into each other. Sure. Mm. And it's quite hard to tell where the starts and ends are of some songs, which is you get like a, quite a prog trope that you you sort of pick up one where the other leaves off. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that. On Queen One, where that doesn't happen, in a sense, the two albums are being joined mm. by this segue between that early version of Seven Seas of Rye and then mm. 
even though it doesn't start Queen Two, it's it's there as sort of like a it's like a pre-echo. Mm. It's really it's really crazy thing to mm. do. Mm. And it, the differences are interesting. Where you sort of go, okay, by Queen Two, their sound has gotten so much bigger, right? Where you, the, the track that we know, it's a little bit faster. Uh, and when Brian's guitars come in, they crash in. You know, where yeah. where mm-hmm. here it's just like a, oh, it's still cool. Um, yeah, but just uh, how brave, you know, when they rejected an entire track, Mather Swine, right, was it? Where they just went, well, we don't like the quality of this recording, so we're not putting it on the album. But mm. this part of a song that we've kind of been noodling with, yeah, we'll chuck that on there. Yeah. <laughs> They're a very theatrical band, mm. and they're like, oh, always leave them wanting more, that's very theatrical, and you can't not want more after hearing hey, here's, here's something we've started. If you want more, you'll have to get the next album. Yeah, you're right. It's like that. It's a theatrical thing to do, isn't it? Have a sort of outro, mm. yeah. I wonder if it's it's part of them being really keen to move on. They like So they've got itchy feet mm. to get onto the new stuff, yeah. so much so that they're actually putting it on the album. I wonder if it's just to keep themselves, like, um, not interested is the wrong word, but sort of to go come on guys this is a taste of of where we're going right yeah this is a we're not one and done here it's a yeah. statement yeah. of intent right we're, we're going to do many many albums yeah i think that's fair i think that's absolutely fair so that does bring us to the end of our first album uh in the queen catalog which is an exciting thing guys and it has been lovely to do to actually go through this and this brings us to a point so i've been thinking about this a lot since the last episode of uh uh Allowing our, um, uh, uh, I can't even remember what I'm calling them anymore, the, the, the listeners out there, to the hearings, right? The hearings to... Um... We cu- are we sticking with hearings? <laughs> no, obviously we're not. Every time I listen to it's, it. like, it's like um, inquiries. <laughs> obviously we're not sticking with the hearings. It's awful. <laughs> I am sticking with the hearings. Very, very different thing um, for I am uh, not canny. So, um, uh, this is essentially what what we've been doing is putting at the end of each episode, we'll, we'll look at the tracks from that side of the album and recommend uh, discuss which tracks should go on to like the ultimate Queen playlist, which is called the Queen of the Queen playlist. And I think it's fair to say you can have a general Queen playlist where you've got your singles in there, and maybe so uh, you know from side one you might put keep yourself alive in there and doing all right in there fair play we'll let you do that but the queen of the queen track from side one was my fairy uh, king which is actually not the one that we thought going in i think i thought it was going to be doing all right but uh, quite brilliantly it is my fairy king so from side b guys what song is the queen of the queen song made in heaven made in heaven Queen Della Queen. Yes. Right. Is it Della Queen? Yeah, because you don't say that's the cream of the cream. What What do you say? You creme de la creme. Creme de la creme. <laughs> right, so creme de la creme. <laughs> I love it. What is that, German? <laughs> okay. For, for me... So, the Queen das Wurst Queen... <laughs> So I'm, I'm like I'm less desperate to win this one than I was on side A, but I I would say my Queen de la Queen for side B is Son and Daughter. Okay, okay, Suze. 
I'm gonna go for Liar because when I first bought this album, I talked about it on the first episode, when I first bought this album, I put it on my Discman, I put my headphones on in the dressing room at the Harlequin Theatre Red Hill, and when I got to Liar, I remember looking around the room going, no one knows how cool what I'm listening to is. <laughs> and so Amazing. I'm gonna go for Liar because it's uh, precious memories. Yeah, right, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about you, Simon? I'm, I'm still in the Liar camp for all those reasons I said yes. early, earlier on. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah, I've always loved it. It's yeah it, it's a standout moment for me on this album so i'd have to but i i can see the son and daughter argument absolutely yeah. without a doubt but um i'm gonna i'm gonna stay in the liar camp so two for liar and one for son and daughter and of course son and daughter is the right answer so we're going to be putting son <laughs> and daughter in the let me pronounce this right quen de la quen uh, <laughs> now i've got that accurately correct <laughs> for you uh, hearings out there uh, put that in your ultimate queen playlist but here's my big question if you had to pick one track off the whole album to take with you onto your desert island which one's it going to be how can we do that no just for you personally no I'm not asking anyone to do anything these questions are so hard <laughs> make us choose harder. our children well, because <laughs> we'll make a note of this and then when we get to the end of this whole process then we'll be able to figure out what our actual individual favourite Queen songs must be ah uh, gotcha yeah so one off the album yeah one off the album for you Suze oh my fairy queen my fairy queen my fairy king perfect queen king so king. King, king de la king I don't know anything about the band <laughs> <laughs> I've been faking it the whole time I just wanted to weigh into the industry I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's working perfectly uh, go my on, John. King. Are you the same? Yeah, mine would be my fairy king. Okay. How about you, Simon? Shall I come back to you, Simon? No, no, I'm going to go with Liar. No, it's fine. Liar's great. Liar's no. a great answer. Mine's son and daughter. There you go. That's but... a relatively painless experience. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I'm going to have to go and lie down now because I said no to my fairy king. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry. That one's not, that's not going down. That's not being carved into stone mm. like the no. Queen de la Queen playlist is. No. No, I mean, I'd that's the... just for when we're on a desert island, which yeah. Roe seems desperate for us to end up on some sort of well, desert island. I've got some fabulous playlists. coconut recipes uh, ah. that I'd love to share with you guys. I don't know where that <laughs> came from. So uh, there we have it. That is, with great drama and aplomb, essentially <laughs> the end of our episode. We have concluded that uh, on side B, Son and Daughter is the best track. And on the first Queen album as a whole, My Fairy King is the best track. <laughs> Honourable mention for doing all right. Uh, look, I hope we'll, uh, you'll join us again next time. Uh, we might do a little special, uh, but essentially we're looking forward to getting stuck into the white side of the Queen 2 album, uh, which is an astonishing album. We're all very excited about that. Um, and uh, please, please do get in touch with us to tell us anything you want about your love of Queen. Ask us questions, really challenge us if you want to. 
uh, and uh, obviously inevitably slag us off and you know we'll, we'll absorb <laughs> that um, you can do that by the best way to contact us is genuinely uh, by emailing us at queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com that's where and also yeah. let us know what your two songs from this album would be what would be your song of track mm. one and your your what would be your song of side one and your song mm. of side two and your seven degrees of rye <laughs> and oh, your top ten album covers rye. yeah what is your random connection to queen do you have a fabulous connection to queen that we uh that we, we you know you where you're like oh actually my mum once cut freddie's hair for four years or whatever it is and the more make. tenuous the better <laughs> true what i what i would like is someone's uncle whose wife had a hairdresser who went to hairdressing school with someone who cut freddie mercury's hair <laughs> yeah hair. yeah we need the full seven steps don't we yeah, yeah. Uh, and what i would like is when a vaccine is finally released and we're actually all allowed to properly just see each other again that we hire a massive village hall somewhere in Truro in Rogers Honor and then just get all of these people together uh, for just a nice mixer Um, (laughs) so email us queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com you can also uh, just post your just instant thoughts about and photos about Queen uh, and love of Queen at thequeenpod on Twitter and Instagram um, and so it leaves me with but one job, uh, which is to say goodbye to my lovely uh, Queen adventurers, uh, Miss Suze Kempner. Bye, thanks, bye. Mr. Simon Lupton. Goodbye. <laughs> Mr. John Robbins. <laughs> see you guys. Uh, wonderful, see you next time. I'm Ro. Goodbye. This has been The Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production, edited and produced by me, Fergus March. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.